Hi everyone, I'm Trisha Bell. Hi, I'm Georgia. And welcome to CTE Talk, a podcast where we talk all about CTE, concussion culture and sport, and life as a family member. Every Monday, we will be joined by guests to shed light on the neurological disease, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Join us on our mission to raise awareness and educate others. Good morning and welcome back to CTE Talk. Um, today, we are going to be talking with um, Dave and Vicki, whose son, Scott, was the very first major league soccer player to be diagnosed with CTE at Boston University. Hi, Dave and Vicki, welcome today. Hi, welcome. thank you for having us. So um, Scott uh, was reading a bit about his story and he has the classic symptoms of CTE that I know about. Um, you talk about in the late 20s, he started having aggression and impulse control issues and mm-hmm. that, that just got a little bit worse. So. Start wherever you'd like. This is your time to tell whatever CT, whatever parts of Scott's story you want to tell and your own story. First of all, obviously, I'd like to thank the, both of you for giving us a, an opportunity to have another outlet to get his story out. Absolutely. Uh, I'm still a little emotional when I talk, so, you know, forgive me. That's okay. But, you know, when I'll preface our story with when we were working with Scott, CTE was not a reality in soccer. It was, you know, nothing, nothing was talked about. We knew nothing of CTE in soccer. So everything we were doing to try and help Scott was based on alcoholism or drugs or something like that. It was, you know, we didn't even know CTE was going to even be an issue. So along with that, you know, now we, you know, we went through all that. So we want to get the story out that uh, so that former players like Scott know that CT is a reality. It's, it's, it's a real thing for soccer players. And so we wanted to make sure they knew that and that Boston University and the Concussion Legacy Foundation and all that, they exist and they can call, they, there's actual counselors there that understand CTE, unlike the, all the rehab programs that we sent Scott to that nobody mentioned C, you know, it was just, oh, do this seven step and have this and do this. It was all based around alcoholism. And also along with that, we want to, uh, you know, the existing players, need to be aware that this is real in their world now and uh, and then along with that you know we're hoping that you know we can help push more safety protocols especially i know now they've stopped like heading for like from up to 12 years old i think it oh, is well, that's uh, good. I didn't yeah, that. which is which is out there now but you know hopefully in the future high schools, colleges of all divisions and the MLS, even though uh, the MLS has a little bit of a concussion protocol, it's not anything even like the NFL. I mean, it's, you know, they come out, but they can immediately go back in. I don't think they have the doctors and everything that the NFL does. 
but down at the college level and high school level, there's, you know, there's really no protocol. And so when Scott was playing at all those levels, there was, you know, there was no protocol. So, you know, his story getting out is one that I hope leads eventually down the line to a lot of these things taking place. So that kind of prefaces where, where we're going. And I might mention uh, yesterday on one of the morning programs, Vicki and I were watching, the, uh, the doctor on there was, I think, GMA three in the morning, or three or whatever, that's a morning program. They were talking about a study that came out on concussions and that it could take up to six months for somebody to completely recover from a concussion, but it, it varies on each individual. So, you know, right now a timeline is set. You go out, on, you go out and you're, you're out a week, you go through this concussion protocol and you're out a week, but you know, a week might be good for this person, but it might not be good for this person. So that I thought that study was interesting in saying, hey, some people may take way longer, up to six months to fully recover. So, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was, yeah, they were just talking about that on TV yesterday morning, which I thought was real interesting. Mm. But, but uh, to get kind of the, the Scott story, uh, I'll kind of run through his, how long he's played. He, he started playing at five years old. Mm -hmm. uh, and probably around seven to eight, he really started showing, you know, good skills and he, we got him into competitive club soccer. And, and then from that point at 13 years old, he, he got on the Olympic development team. And then, and then from there on, he played, he played on the, uh, in the national team program from 13 on and, you know, played wow. world championships and stuff like that. And, Played all the way through the Olympic team, and then he got called up to the full team a couple of times, the full national team, and and uh, he played at University of Virginia for three years and played a couple of Final Fours there, and then uh, and then coaches from the MLS, you know, when he was a junior, uh, convinced him to leave early and come to the MLS and play under what they called then Project 40, was take the top 40 players and distribute them amongst the MLS teams because MLS was, you know, young, it was a baby, and they were trying to get people out there that fans knew. Mm -hmm. So they were, you know, like, so they got Scott and they put him on the Kansas City team because he was from Kansas City. And so... So they talked him into, into doing that. And he played approximately five years in, in the MLS. And, you know, had, had an okay career. Uh, near the end of his career, his play was, his play started deteriorating a little bit from what I you know, watched him, I, just, I knew. And then, and then uh, we did not, you know, he, was, he got married he had uh, two kids, two kids, a son, Braden, and a daughter, Ava. And then Cammie and him divorced in 04, not till 
we went through all this and discovered it was CTE, then that Cammie talked to us and let us know that now she kind of understands some things that were happening back then they, they, you know, that the, obviously they didn't share with us, you know, and yeah. it, it, it was their family, it was their issues, but, but then when she realized, wow, you know, some of those were signs of, of CT that would have been around, he would have probably been around what, uh, 27, 28, yeah. somewhere, somewhere around in that area. But actually from, from the time he got divorced, you know, he did a lot of youth coaching and stuff. And, and we never really knew anything was going on, you know, because we didn't know from the divorce. And, and when we'd see him, he always seemed in good spirits. And, you know, like he was coaching his son and, and uh, mm-hmm. watching Ava dance. And, and so doing things that, you know, a normal father would do. He hit it very well. He hit it very well and just kind of remarkably well. Yeah, a lot of them do, don't mm. they? Yeah. He would have never told, I mean, I think his personality changed, but I, uh, being his stepmom, I'm his stepmom, um, I was in a little bit later on. I knew him, I met him first time when he was 12, and he was so darn cute, it wasn't even funny. You know, he was, he liked to travel and this and that, and um, that's what he loved. I asked him what he loved about soccer, and that's what he said, traveling a lot, and then uh, later on, you could just see some sparkle go out when he started uh, being real aggressive because he was a really aggressive player, and mm-hmm. but he loved loved the sport. So, and everybody wow. liked him. He had a lot of good teammates. Mm-hmm. In fact, I want to tell one thing: is when he was playing for the Wizards, he was I'm kind of new to um, soccer, and at one of the uh, Wizard games there at Arrowhead. He had uh, crashed, I don't know, Miola or whatever. I, the ball came into the net and he crashed with somebody and hit his face. And then um, he had to go to the hospital. And of course, everybody was in the room and I had to go out because his face was, uh, they had to sew him up and all. It was like, I mean, that was one collision. And I mean, that was just uh, one collision, many collisions, but because uh, they can happen every way, just in between people, you know, when they're both going after the ball and stuff. And he loved tethers. He loved tethers. And he was very good at it. So, yeah, there's a lot of subconcussive things that go on on the soccer field as well, bumping into each other, the run, you know, all, not just the headers. And they all yeah, add up, don't they? They all add up. Like even across how many, how many years of play, if, if, if it was always happening, then they do kind of contribute to the final picture, don't they? Yeah, and, and not till we got obviously involved with Concussion Legacy Foundation and Boston University did we, you know, start realizing that all those headers are, you know, head trauma every every time with the ball coming in at 40, 50, 60 miles an hour and they're, they're heading at all those multiple traumas that, that happen. Yeah, and like you said, that obviously that you heard on the news that it can take up to six months to heal from a concussion. I mean, he probably never got time to heal probably if he was having so many of them. No, and and back then there was no protocol. So mm. we were at games where- At Duke one time, playing at Duke. Yeah. And uh, it was one of my first ones I'd ever seen. And uh, two guys, and it wasn't aggressive and they were all after Scott because he was the defender, but 
they went up for the ball and they crashed heads and you can hear it from the stand. And I remember turning around looking at Dave like, what the heck was that? These are heads, not helmets. And so, uh -huh. and what did they do? They took him out. Kind of a, a, a tape, you know, kind of a thing that holds it together. And then they put him back in. And then after the game, they put took him, back him in, in the, right in. Yeah. And then after the game, they took him into the Duke uh, mm -hmm. basketball mm -hmm. arena and, mm -hmm. and sewed, it, sewed it up before they went back to, yeah. So it, you know, there was no protocol. Played again. There no. was no protocol then. Well, and he sounded like an amazing player. So they probably didn't want to miss him being on the pitch no, at they, all. Yeah. yeah, they didn't. Obviously, you look back at all that now and it's like, wow, you know. Uh, yeah, I look back at space. it sometimes and say, wow, what, you know, him out. Mm -hmm. he was good at yeah. baseball. Why didn't he like baseball? Yeah, I mean, it's. He wanted to go to pre-med and yeah, so he had to uh, stop college because they pulled him out because they thought he was so good. And that was like, oh, wow. They, you know, they, I'm Worse, not good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, during that, during that time, uh, after he got divorced, he was coaching youth soccer. Later on in about, you know, it would have been about 2011 or 2012, he met a, he, he went back to school at the University of Missouri, Kansas City to get a nursing degree. And so, uh, and then he met a, a gal there named Megan and uh, she was there also getting a nursing degree. They both graduated and then they got married in uh, 14. Unfortunately, that was there was a big turning point there and he started going downhill fast. He, he graduated, he got his degree. They both started work at the KU med center and, and he was doing well. He got put into transplant group. And then the next thing we found out that he was on, on leave because he was caught using some painkiller IVs. Um. At, at work to help him get through so and, and then of course i talked to him about it and you know he just said it was a mistake and he was he, you know they were having him in a uh, counseling thing ku med center had him in a counseling thing that he could take and then if he passed you know got through that then he could come back uh, and and that didn't work out and and then after that things really started Whirling, and the next thing I know, I uh, we were getting calls from Megan at night, and she was finding Scott laying in bed, passed out, and barely breathing. And we live roughly two hours away, so you know I was out jumping in in the truck and heading off and trying to figure out what the heck's going on, and and come to find out, you know, he was just drinking these pints of vodka just till he till he would pass out. So. It, it was maybe a little over a year that that kept going on yeah. um, and then Megan Megan left left him mm -hmm. obviously yeah and uh, we sent him to different rehabs uh, he went to uh, a rehab center in Georgia called Black Bear a close friend of his helped set up that a friend of his helped set up uh, Jeremy and he went there and it was all uh, centered around alcoholism which is what we thought it was he came back from there Megan had left and filed divorce and that went through so you know it was just a spiraling you know the everything just started like an avalanche you know it just kept building up and and it kept getting worse we kept sending him to rehab and 
we 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 were frustrated with him. Vicky was frustrated with me because <laughs> I was always gone. And, uh -huh. uh, he, he was of, always calling his dad when uh -huh. telling him, and he said, "Well, I'll come on up." And so, the drop of a hat, you know, he was gone, and that sometimes was night after night. Yeah. Uh -huh. So that went on for quite a while. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, just trying to, you know, because we didn't understand why he, he'd go to the rehab place. We kind of felt like he'd come out with a little bit together, like, okay, you've got something going. And then it'd be a couple days later and it was back to, back to drinking or we couldn't find him or whatever the case may be. And, uh, but one of the common things that, that he would say to me at these rehab places, he went, you know, he went, which was, to me, amazing in the first place that he even went, but I think he went because he was trying to do something good for us. I think, I think, you know, when he was for his kids, when he was, yeah, for his kids, they yeah. mean a lot to him, mm -hmm. and they were starting to back off because they thought that was good for him being an alcoholic. You kind of think, well, I'll be a tough love, and you know, show them that's not okay, and. That's one of the most heartbreaking things is the guilt that parents, wives, children of these men and women that have these impulse control issues and develop these um, substance use problems. It's it's not the person, it's not under their control. They have some type of part of their brain that's not working correctly yeah, right. to, to control those and the guilt that all these people go through and it's it's terrible and I'm myself included yeah, it, yeah it's 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 horrible because you know once dr mcgee called it you know he passed away on christmas day of 20 and, that must have been hard two days after his birthday yeah so Ugh. christmas so christmases are you know, yeah so basically that his kids our grandkids you know will we FaceTime each other on Christmas Day and, you know, kind of talk, talk through it. You know, it took a seat. We got the results on November, in November of 21, that it was, you know, it was CTE. And so they had stage, Dr. McKee said he had stage two and he was on the edge of going into stage three. And, mm -hmm. and things would have, would have just gotten a whole lot worse. Mm -hmm the way as fast as as fast as it was going so how did you go from noticing the symptoms obviously trying to help him through rehab to deciding that it donating his brain when he passed away was the best kind of option at the time well one of the things i was getting ready to mention is that in these rehab things he would get in there and then they would have parents night where you would visit and sit around a, a round table type talk you know and and i would go to those things and after after it was over you know scout and i would talk and i'd say hey look looks good i mean it looks like you should be able to you're a strong young man looks like you should be able to work through this and he'd look at me and say dad this isn't helping i'd be like what do you mean it, you know we're we're looking right at the cause here this and so it was it was frustrating it was how can it not be this you know i mean that's how we were looking how can it not be this but he said it, it wasn't this so actually he was trying to help other people in there instead yeah. of himself instead of because i think that was just a trade-off in his mind that well i'll help somebody else is not helping me i'll help them and so 
that was more than one of the places he was doing that was mm -hmm. trying to help other people and that's what i noticed when i went there a couple of times he um was in this session and he kept talking about that in fact he was more interested in some of my history with alcoholism with my first husband but he's always wanting to help other people do it and take it away from him he wanted the attention off of him since he couldn't mm -hmm. figure out what's going on himself so it was confusing for me being stepmom coming in late i didn't know the the cute smart scott at certain you know at certain young age and remembering that i just remembered part of it and so I'm almost a little confused about the whole thing, totally, because I go back and forth because I saw the not so cute person, but then I saw just enough to know that he was. I know some of the pictures that he's taken are really good, and I saw some good, but at the same time for us, he caused us so much trouble as far as back and forth, back and forth, you know, that kind of trouble, nothing, nothing real big or but mm -hmm. um, every minute There's just... that he was thinking was always about Scott. I could not reach, mm -hmm. I could not reach him. And so finally I, I asked him to go to someone to talk to. So, um, or I, I'd have to go because I just, we just couldn't talk. It was just like that he wasn't there. It was always somewhere else. His mind was always somewhere else trying to think of what to do. And he did that and it's, it's helped a lot, but Mm -hmm. it's been rough. Yeah, it's been so really rough. I went, mm -hmm. Yeah. Initially, when I went there and we got through everything, and she she told me that I needed to step away. Mm -hmm. And as we're thinking, obviously, we're at alcoholism. You need to step away, and he needs to take control and take charge of it. And so, mm -hmm. I did. I think that. it's just hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just hard, isn't it? Like naturally, when you care about someone, you just want to look out for them you want to be there for them no matter yeah. how hard it is on you isn't it you just almost forget that you almost forget kind of what it is doing to you and and your own little family and your relationship or whatever it may be and because you just want to prioritize looking after someone that you love yeah, yeah we always took care of him i yeah. wanted to take care of him we are, yeah, we... i mean one can i tell one story okay. one story when we went to um, the house that he was out and it was kind of late and he was drinking a lot of vodka and nobody could find him. And we went to the house and there he was and he didn't want to come out. He didn't want to come out. He didn't want to move out of the bed. So he was obviously way intoxicated. And um, Dave finally got him to go and we went to the hospital to get him detoxed mm -hmm. basically. But I remember him just talking. It was just him and I and the doctors and or Dave and I and the doctors and Scott all of a sudden went, you know, I'm so happy. He says, you guys are the only ones that care about me. What's wrong with me? You know, and it was like, my heart just kind of went out mm -hmm. on that one. So, which isn't true. There was a lot, there's a lot of people, Dave's sister and his uh, mom, everybody worked. Yeah. Everybody worked on it. It wasn't just us, but at that moment, that's how he felt that we were the only ones going to try and help because he didn't know what to do next. Mm. Yeah, it's horrible because there's no treatment. I mean, he didn't know what you to can't do. go anywhere and get any medicine to help mm. with the pain or whatever's going on mm. with the brain or there's nothing, you know. 
And so it's, you know, you're helpless. Yeah. So, so what, what had happened is when he passed away, we had all kind of seen a commercial with, uh, I can't think of her name, a, a lady soccer star. I just read about her the other day. I can't remember her name either. Yeah. And uh, so it was, you know, we all kind of talked and consensus between all of us that, hey, maybe this, maybe this will give us an answer. So we contacted him and Chastain. yelled Brandy Chastain. Yeah, that was the name of the game. Took her shirt off. Right. Yeah, Andy <laughs> That was that was the guy in her commercial, and that one of us. And she, I couldn't tell you who remembered it, but but we all had the consensus. Hey, we we need to do this. You know, we need to call and see if they'll accept it. And when we called, they said absolutely. You know, knowing who he was, and so that's how that ended up. And and so we we all waited for you know those. 11 months were, you know, we were all kind of looking for answers because we just didn't know we were looking for answers. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's horrible to think that you're looking for answers of your son's passing. And, uh, but when it came back CTE, we were all, you know, it's kind of a, a weird situation here. Oh, it was, you know, CTE that was the cause and now alcoholism. So now you understand that, but now you look back and go, Oh my God, if we'd have known it was that, how would, you know, his daughter said, you know, Ava would have been more compassionate, compassionate to her dad. Cause and, she was the tough one. Yeah. You wouldn't think the little girl would be the tough one, but she was. And um, they both loved their dad. They had a, a good little childhood up to, I don't know, 12 probably with him and then all of a sudden it just the bottom came out and uh, they didn't have as much to do with each other he would um, make plans with them but then he didn't show up yeah he would forget to show up and so so that was kind of rough on him yeah so Uh so anyway that cte is so horrible and then not only what it does to the person that has ct but it just rips at the fiber of families i mean it's just because you know you you see the person there and you know that's not you know we would see scott and we would know that's not scott that's not him but then a couple days later for a brief time you would see him you know Mm -hmm. he would he would pop in and hey it'd be like Oh, there he is. And then there he's gone. And so you, you know, you lose the person more than once mm. you know, because you lose them when they're going through that because it's not them. And then you lose them forever. I'm so sorry, Dave. It sounds like you did so much for Scott. I mean, getting up in the middle of the night and all of that. And that's, that's wonderful. It's your son. It's, you know, you do anything for your kid. You take care of your kids. So that's why we want his story out there because just the thought of other families having to go through this pain is, is hor- it's just horrible. And, you know, any way that this helps, you know, that's what, that's what, that's why we're here. You know, any way this helps or prevention. Let me ask. Well, did any of um, Scott's teammates are now, are they, do they, 
believe in CTE because they saw it as opposed to other players that maybe don't know anybody yet or don't recognize it? Have they come to you and say, oh, wow, okay, yeah, I need actually, to pay attention to this? Yeah, actually, I had one young man who played with Scott on the national team, Brian Dunseth. He's, a, he's actually, uh, he had a podcast, a soccer podcast, and, and he actually now does, uh, he does games for Apple TV soccer and he reached out to me he was one of the first guys that reached out to me very emotional because it hit home because when he heard scott's story and he knew some of the some of the issues he was having it hit home so he's been a real advocate in getting the word out to people that he knows uh taylor twelman who's a broadcaster on uh, espn played against scott and, you know, he, he said he's had some minor issues going on. So these guys are, these guys that are reaching out are getting out to other players. And along with that, I've been able to be in contact with Bob Foose, who's the uh, director of MLS Players Association. Okay. And, uh, and uh, so, you know, they've been trying to do the best they can to, to do to get safety measures enhanced within MLS, you know, you're, you've got a players association and you got the MLS and, you know, there's got, there's going to be give and take there. It's just not going to be, and you know, their union is building, but I, it's not like as strong as the NFL's union, but it's building. So through his story, get out, there's, there's been a lot of response and a lot of things going on. It's a little frustrating with the MLS because they've really set back and not said anything. I think hoping that the story comes and goes, mm. but trying to like, ignore it. Yes. Yeah, for like having your podcast and other outlets like that, the story doesn't die. Mm. You know, we, we keep it going. And so I know I was, I know Chris Nowinski from concussion legacy foundation, uh, had asked me to go with him to Chicago to speak at uh, some MLS was going to have a summit there in Chicago coming up. Well, he called me back and said that, you know, they don't want to have any parents or anybody speaking at the summit. So they were freezing us out, so to speak, at the summit. So, so you see where... Just a way to keep it quiet. So you see Unbelievable. where... Unbelievable. Well, there's just little roadblocks here and there. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously we went to the first huddle right after we had found out about CTE in 22, we went to that first huddle. Uh, I was amazed at all, all the wives of the football players that were there, but also amazed at all the military that had issues, uh, other, other sports like that you don't think about like skateboarding and and all that, that people cycling. had sons, cycling. cycling, that people had sons and daughters that- Rodeo jockeys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's just- Don't remember any of just, those there, but yeah, that would be it. <laughs> it was just, it, it's just, you know, you don't, the reach of this is just goes everywhere. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're tackling a little area of, you know, our, obviously our focus is soccer, because that's, you know, his background, but 
boy, it, it reaches out to a lot of a lot of families and and men and women that play those sports or do those things. So. It kind of tore our family apart a lot because of uh, we didn't know what was going on and it lasted for so long because it was a long time. It was years and years with the alcoholism. You know, some of them are not that long, but uh, there's a lot of people. We had a lot of interesting people that we talked to at the uh, huddle. huddle that were, they were very interesting to talk to the families. Uh, a guy said he was helping his uh, uh, son doing football out in California. And then uh, they got him kind of cleaned up and they thought he was better, but he ended up going on a hike with the family and he just keeled over. And actually I was sitting next to him during dinner and he just died right there in his arms. So you hear everyone else's story. There's a lot of stories out there. Yeah, different stories. So. And they're more similar than people actually originally think, aren't they? There's a lot of commonalities between each of the stories. Yeah. A lot of people call Dave since all of this has happened. Um, that kind of irritates me to a little bit, but not. I mean, I totally understand it, but they call him for help because they don't know what to do. There's a, there, there's a young lady. Uh, she reached out to me and uh, was know, concerned because she was worried about her. Her, her kids so and she's worried about her family and uh, if her parents could call us to see you know yeah. how we take it because i don't know there's just it's hard on the parents but even when they have kids though it's going to be hard what yeah. do you do with it, your kids you think you're not going to make it and what to look for so yeah it's such a fine balance for you as well because you've obviously been burdened and had all the emotional side during and after you lost your son and and having people co contact you, it, it's great because you can share your experiences, help others, share the story of your son, share the legacy. But also, I can imagine it could be quite, it brings it all back for you, doesn't it? So it's a, it's a real fine line. Yeah, because yeah. we could be finally having a, a good day because Dave took it probably extra hard, in my opinion. <laughs> so there, sometimes we'd have something to do that, and then we'd get a phone call and it would be like, you know, he couldn't get it off his mind, of course. And so mm -hmm. it was hard to get over that. And it took so long. It's just been dragging out for 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. And um, he wouldn't want that. He wouldn't want that. He, he would be so happy for his kids. They're doing so great. And how, how old are they now, the grandchildren? Let's see, Braden is 23. And mm -hmm. uh, Ava turns 21 May 15th. Maybe. Wow. Do they understand now that, that their dad didn't have any control over that? Yeah, they well they under they understand more of CTE now. You know, okay. Once it came back and, and they've learned more about CTE, they they understand that. So and, mm. and it so, would be interesting to see how they take it with you guys because it's their viewpoint. Yeah. And yeah. So, it was different growing up because I mean they used to have like pillow flights and everything when uh, they kind of lived with us for a while after he got divorced and we could hear them upstairs having pillow fights they were having fun with their dad they love their dad dearly so mm. they would love to talk about it it yeah. would be really good for them to talk about it I'm the same age as your grandson and I just couldn't even imagine having to have gone through that as well with my own father at such a young age so it'd be really interesting to hear 
that perspective definitely and how that impacted them during it and and how they feel about it now so yeah that, that would be really great they would love to get on there and talk with you because they we we all did for uh, the, the cbs morning show a, a while back um we did a a piece on scott for them that they aired mm-hmm. and, the, and the kids the kids really did liked, well liked expressing their their views and the and they said they were adult no they were just very adult for what they were talking about at their age so is their dad's story impacted their participation in sport yeah he doesn't he doesn't play anymore so he uh, he has other other fun they do other things no headers yeah yeah Yeah. no headers when it's close to home it's it's easier to relate isn't it and it and It it makes you think about it more well, it's, yeah, it's, it's way easier to relate when, when it's close to home. And, and because, you know, most people look at stuff like that and say, ah, that'll, that'll, that won't happen to me. You know, never happen to me. So mm. that, and that's the, you know, that's the issue with a lot of the players are afraid to admit or go in and say, hey, I really need to be checked out because I think I, you know, because uh, it's hard to give up your position if you're playing, you know, on a national or you're playing the MLS and and you want to admit that, hey, maybe medically I need to I need to have somebody look at me and then the guy behind you takes his place. And so it's it, that's a that's a big hurdle to get over. So will you be attending um, the huddle in 24? Uh, in 2024, are, since you did donate Scott's brain and like Georgia and I were talking about the the huddle is for um legacy donors people who have donated their loved ones brains and so you've attended what year did you say you attended last year we went to the one in 22 right after we learned we learned in 21 that it was Mm -hmm. cte they told us about the huddle and it was in vegas Mm -hmm. and and we attended that huddle there was a lot of people from the uk there yeah, I, I was there. I, it's all coming back now. There's so many people there. You forget. Yeah, I was. I was there too, and and yeah. I, yeah, it's it, it was big. It was a lot of people, yeah. and I think next year, because we have two more years of donors who have donated brains, so next year is going to even be larger. I think. Yeah, so, I mean, by the time you get around trying to meet everybody, it's hard to remember everybody. I mean, it's wow, it's just. So Georgia, you were there? Georgia, yeah, I was yeah. there. Yeah, that was my first huddle. I, I was in my first year of my PhD there. But I remember her on, on the back wall talking. They were all talking yeah. about it. I'm hoping to come back in February and present my, all my PhD work. So I'm looking forward to that. Oh. And her PhD work has to do with CTE. Yeah, yeah, I study CTE caregivers. So that's my whole PhD is on that. So I, it was nice. It'll be kind of like a full circle moment because I've came to the huddle when I was kind of thinking about where to research and what to research and then I'll come back with all of the research completed so it'll be really nice to share it with everyone there especially because so many of the family members and legacy donors at the the huddle they participated in my research so it'd be really nice to share it with them oh yeah that will be will be perfect well it's been great talking to you both thank you so much for being so honest and I know that we've said that how important it is 
to get diagnosis and treatment for the patients during life but I do think sharing your story and speaking about it is almost a treatment for you guys and and really opening up and sharing your experiences and I know it's going to help a lot of other people as well and and particularly because this episode's focused on a soccer player I think that's going to be really interesting for people to listen to so thank you for joining us and it's been really great all right. Well, we appreciate you guys, including us. Good luck with the rest of your podcast. I've, I've listened, I've got on and listened to your other ones. And it's just, yeah, the stories are, are, heartbreaking. Yeah, heartbreaking yeah. and that informative too. And, and, uh, you know, hopefully all these keep rotating and getting out there and and make a difference. Thank you so much, Dave and Vicky. And I'm sure so many people are going to really appreciate you being honest and open with your story. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. See you Bye. later. Thanks for joining us, everyone, for the first episode back for season two of CTU Talk. We'll see you next week, Monday, eight o'clock, for the next episode. Bye. Bye.